hey, today I'm wearing a mask. So we're in that season of we have to wear a mask. And so as I was thinking about this message and this idea of wearing a mask, I was thinking about we're talking today, continuing our series on colorblind, and we're talking today about civility, how to be civil to one another. And so I thought, actually, this idea of a mask is a great idea in this concept of civility, because it reminds us of this simple truth. We have one mouth and two ears. And that so many times we use our mouth more to get across our point to communicate rather than on the receiving end to use our two ears to listen. But today, as we think about this idea of civility, it's a good reminder that we need to be able to listen more and talk less. Today, as we think about this idea of discussing civility and what it means to have good conversations with each other, I'm reminded of the fact that most of the time when we enter into discussions, and immediately if we're offended, what happens is we go into fight or flight mode, and that means that at that moment we're only using 15% of our brain, and it's the part of our brain that's called the lizard brain, because that means that it is just doing what it's told to do, and it's just reacting naturally. So your lizard brain is the one that tells your heart to pump and your arteries to work and all the things that you just naturally do with your heart and breathing, that's your lizard brain, but it also attaches in that moment of fight or flight, we respond because we're fearful. And so many times in communication, when we get hurt or we get offended or something like that, we immediately go to fight or flight in our lizard brain and we don't stop and think. We just take off the mask and we just kind of spew out whatever is there. The first thing that I want us to think about this morning is to ask you this question of, do you play well with others? I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my report card had grades, you know, usually B's and C's or whatever they were and uh, all that different stuff. And then there also was underneath all of the grades, there was this little thing about social conduct and how do you, how well does they talk, do they talk too much in class? Do they throw food? Whatever it may be. But there was always this one of, do they play well with others? And I always thought of this, this is, I always struggled in this area because this grade usually came from playground time, from recess, and that was like my favorite class, and I was large and in charge on the playground. And so there were times, admittedly, that I did not play well with others, and a matter of fact, I may have shared some, some words of wisdom on the playground, even as a third, fourth, and fifth grader, that were not encouraging, that got me in trouble. And so I would sometimes come home on my report card and that the one grade that my parents were worried about more than any other grade was this, does Chris play well with others? And if I got an S-, minus, that was I was going to get a talking to. And if I got a U, which was unsatisfactory, I was definitely going to be in trouble. You always want an S on your report card when asking you that question of, do you play well with others? Well, listen, in the playground of life, that's what I'm asking you. Do you play well with others? Or too many times do you get S-minuses or even U's 
on your life report card of how you do life with others. Because so much of life is truly doing life with others and how we play and do life with them. And a big part of that is communication. And we struggle with communication when, under stress and anxiety, we try to communicate. Because what happens under stress and anxiety? We revert back to that old lizard brain. And fight or flight and offense happens. Because whenever communication doesn't go well, it turns into, into this, if I'm right, then the other person is wrong. We get this defensive posture. It's an us against them posture in our fight or flight communication. I don't know about you, but sometimes ego, I've heard, can get involved in communication. And so we all have one, I've been told. And so if your ego is such and you're trying to communicate, sometimes your ego, how you think about yourself, can get in the way of communicating with other people. There's also these things called, what they're called word minds. And there are words that sometimes you can say that have no meaning or little meaning to you, but you say them and it has great meaning to others and it offends them or hurts them. And so whenever that happens, that's a trip up and it can cause fight or flight as well. And you would say it this way, is it something that I said, and it truly is, that you used a word and said it in a way that was offensive or hurtful to the other person? Then sometimes we struggle with this thing in communication called glory versus goodwill. That we want to be made the hero of the story. And so if we have an idea that we need to be the hero of the story, we will raise ourselves up so we can be in a position of glory in a way that it puts others down and doesn't seek out the goodwill for all involved because we need to be the hero. It's in those moments of stress and anxiety that our lizard brain kicks in and we just make bad decisions. We say really bad, mean things. We're cruel. We're biting. We're cutting. There's just cynical, sarcastic remarks. And people are hurt in those moments when we don't stop and maybe just metaphorically or theoretically put a mask over our mouth and say, you know what, this is a time for me just to be, to be quiet and to hush and to not speak and just to let patience reign in this moment. Because the main part of our brain, the other 85% of our brain is where the, the, we think and where we analyze and where we choose and where we make symbolic understanding and we observe. And all of the, the rational, logical thinking that happens, happens in the main part of the brain. Sometimes you can call it the mainframe, the main computer. 85% of your brain helps us do relationships well. But under stress and anxiety, we revert back to the 15% lizard brain and we do horrible and say horrible things. What are you getting on the playground of life? Are you getting S's? Are you getting S minuses and U's? There's all kinds of ways to do bad communication. But good communication is really like a good friendship. It's someone that asks you a question and sits and listens as long as needed to hear what's going on. That there can be even silence in the communication because they're not in a hurry, they're not in a rush, it's not a task. It's a friend is truly there to know and to understand and to be with you and there's a power of presence 
and good communication. There's also a sense of respect, that you respect that the other person is who they are, and that they're a human being, that they're made in the image of God, and that God loves them and cares for them. There's a respect for the other person. However, sociologists are telling us that we're not very good at that right now. That under the stress and anxiety of COVID and the riots and all the different things going on, under the stress, we're reverting to our lizard brains and that we have a war-like and offensive-like mentality and an argument culture. We're struggling with it, so we're spewing hate. We're spewing sarcasm and cynicism and snarky comments and insults, and we're rude and we're mean-spirited. And I know that you're thinking as I'm saying this, no, that's not me. Look at your Facebook. Sometimes the way that you word things or the way that you don't say things is rude and mean-spirited and dismissive. Look at your Instagram or some of the ways that we communicate. We do it, and we don't even recognize that we're doing it. We have a mean, argumentative, offensive, warlike culture. And social media has turned into a street fight. Pastor and author John Bevere says that this offensive behavior is the bait of Satan. And if you know anything about bait, it's something that's used as a trap. If you've ever been fishing or you've ever been hunting or you've ever been shopping, ladies, they put bait out to get you in. And dating, you put on your smell good sauce and you dress up good. Why? Because you're baiting the other person to like you. It's a trap. You're, you're trapping the other person or the other animal because you desire to draw them in. Well, this spirit of offense is that, is that someone will say something and there's an offense before us and it's the bait of Satan of whether we're going to take it and be hurt or wounded by it or to let it lie and sit and not let our lizard brain enact. When we choose to take into the bait, the results are hurt and anger and bitterness and hatred and then out of that woundedness, we attack. We're a wounded animal attacking and fighting for our lives. So are you getting an S or an S minus or a U on the playground? Check your heart. Check your social media. So how do you get past this? How do you get past this offensive, warlike, war culture that we're in the midst of them? This, this desire to naturally see an events and See it as bait and to take it. Well, we have to, to let it go. We have to be able to, to look at the bait and to say, that's not for me. I'm going to walk away from it. We have to have the ability to maybe literally take off our battle gear and to just sit in our regular clothes and not gird up for war at every little thing that someone says or doesn't say in our social media. And take the ability to just sit down and discuss. Again, that's why I love this idea of maybe a face mask. And that we just put it over us and say, ask a question and just put it over our face to remind us of it's not about me in this moment. It's about my friend and I want to get to know them, understand them, and truly be present with them. And to hear what they're saying. To hear the depths of their hurt and their pain and their woundedness. Because I don't know about you, but there's been times in my woundedness where I've said some really hurtful things to those that I love the most. 
And in those moments, my grade on the playground of life was definitely not an S, but most definitely probably a U minus. So it didn't play well with others. So we know that getting an S is playing well with each other, and we want to acknowledge that, but we also need to acknowledge that this idea that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words cut even deeper. I know that the the song says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But in reality, the longer we do life, the more we recognize that words are a gift and words have power. And that as the scripture tells us, the tongue can bring great fire and do great harm. And the reason is because words matter. Because we're the words that we're hearing from people that we know and love us. Whenever they speak those words to us, they're offering us a gift. And we're receiving this gift and they can be cutting to us. And because the people that we know on the deepest level know exactly the words to say to cut the deepest. And to wound us on the deepest level. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will cut in even deeper. Here's what I want you to grasp is this is that the only hope of the world is Jesus Christ. The only hope of the world is Jesus. And Jesus left us, the church, He gave us the responsibility to be His spokespeople. And we're to be known for how we love God, how we love our family, how we love ourselves, how we love our neighbors, and how we love one another. And that if we cannot do that well, then what are we saying to the world? That if as followers of Jesus, if we can't stop for a little bit, put a mask over our face, and play well with others, then what are we saying that God is doing in our heart and our life? In other words, the church should be the safest place to have deep discussions. Deep personal discussions on the the deepest, darkest struggles of our own personal life, but also the deepest discussions of what's going on in our culture and how does Jesus intersect those discussions. That the church itself should be the place where we can have civil discussions and say, because we're on the same team, because our agenda is not our glory but His glory, we can sit down and discuss these things on a deep level. And even have arguments about it, but come away saying, I still love you, even though we may disagree. The ability to be civil. We're on the same team. And a part of this whole thing is how well do we love the people, even our own team. So we think about this idea of words cutting even deeper and thinking about several scriptures. And one that first comes to mind is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and here Paul is finishing up his book to Ephesians, and, and he's talking about how important words are. And so Paul gives a pretty basic idea of how we can do communication with one another, that put the mask over our mouth for a little bit and just think about how can we play well with other people. And so he says this, Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now listen, that's, that's pretty straightforward. In other words, that every time before we speak, we should be thinking about, hey, what am I about to say and is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to be cutting? And Paul cuts to the chase on that. 
that as followers of Jesus, our words matter. Now look at it as Pastor Eugene Peterson wrote his own translation of this passage in the message. And he says it this way, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, because each word is a gift. Each word is a gift. That's an interesting idea for us to think about, that every time that we offer a word to someone, that that is a gift to them, and so that we can choose carefully. Think about it for Christmas, that those that you love and that you want to surprise, you work hard at Finding the perfect gift because you want to lay that before them and have a surprise and you want there to be satisfaction in the receiving of that gift and that they understand that you've put great thought and emphasis into this. When is the last time in a conversation that you walked away from that conversation and said, wow, that conversation, the words that were shared with me in that moment were a gift. If we thought of our conversations in that way, that would radically change them. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, King Solomon says this, the, king, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. And the right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. And those who love to talk will reap the consequences. All of us have had a good meal, and we've enjoyed that meal. It's bringing satisfaction. And so here the author of Proverbs is telling us is that whenever we have conversations with people, it's like eating a good meal, and it brings satisfaction. Again, this idea of our words are a gift that can bring healing and bring life. Matter of fact, look at the next verse in Proverbs Chapter 12, verse 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. You've had some people say things to you that are extremely hurtful. And it is literally like cutting. It cuts deep and it wounds. Words are a gift. In Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. Have you ever been around somebody who their, their temper just kind of gets going and they're able to spew words and in that anger all of a sudden you see two people and, and, and their anger and their discussion and it's no longer a discussion after a little bit. It's two people yelling at each other and it just gets louder and louder and louder. So instead of trying to communicate truly, what they're trying to do is be louder than the other person. Because words cut and they hurt. They don't bring healing. And in the midst of that, this anger rises up within us. And we say things that are cutting and hurting. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 says, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Again, this idea that there's words are a gift and it brings life to us. I think of this passage and I see a tree planted by a stream, and that stream feeds it, and it's sturdy, and it continually has a source of life. Good, strong, gifting words that are gentle and helpful and encouraging bring life. Our words matter. 
Dr. James White is a pastor, shares this idea of a civility uh, filter, how to have civil conversations. And again, I, I, I go back to this image of a face mask. And that's this ability that if we put up this face mask, it filters the things that we say. And so as you think about how you can have civil conversations with other people that maybe you put that face mask up and you ask these questions and thought for yourself before you delve into a deep conversation with someone. The first question is this, is what I am going to say true? In other words, do you know that what you're about to say to the other person, do you know for a fact that it's true? Do you know that it's not a rumor, that it's not secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, or you heard it from Aunt Sally or Cousin Sue or whatever, and you know for a fact that it's true, that that's the very first filter for having a civil, helpful, encouraging conversation with someone? The second question is, what I'm going to say, not only true, but is it helpful? In other words, will it build up the other person? Do I personally have an agenda in this? Or am I finding something that's true and that's helpful and will be encouraging and lift them up? The third question is what I'm going to say personal. In other words, am I even saying it to the right person? Am I having this conversation with the right person? And am I going to have this conversation in the right way and in the right place and in the right tone? Those are the first three questions you need to ask. And then finally, I think the, the best filter that we should ask is, is this conversation, am I going to be able to do it in a loving way? That all those other questions are great questions, but this question of loving trumps others. Am I going to be able to have this deep conversation with someone in a way that we can walk away from this and they know that I love them and care for them? Here's what I want you to know. As followers of Jesus, people are watching and listening us. This is what I believe. This is our time. That the church hasn't closed. The church hasn't shut down. As a matter of fact, the statistics are telling us the church is growing now in America at a more rapid rate than it has in the last few years through COVID-19 because things are closed and people are looking for answers. And we have the answer in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. It's a matter of, are we going to be the ones to shine it out and to show His glory? And is all of this stuff about our glory or is it about His glory? In this interruption and this pause in life, we have an opportunity. People are watching and listening how we're responding and what our hope and our faith and what we truly worship is. 87% of American Christians believe that the world is watching us. And I truly believe it. The world watches Americans, and in particular, American Christians, and want to know, what do we truly stand for? Passage in Luke. Jesus is talking to His disciples in a crowd there, and He says this really interesting phrase to them to close out a message. He says this, Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Now, I don't know about you, but the first time that I've read that, and many times that I've read that, I've even thought about this idea of you taste salt. You know what salt is. It brings flavor to stuff. And, and, it, and it also allows those things to persevere. You can preserve things through salt. But then look at the next part of this in verse 35. 
Flavorless salt is neither good for the sod or for the soil, nor for the manure pile. That's interesting. Jesus, I don't know that I've ever thrown salt on a manure pile. Much less am I eating around a manure pile. Flavorless salt is good, neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So here's one of the interesting things. Is that in the old days, even still true today, agriculturally, salt is good for manure. That you can use salt. They've been using salt for several thousand years in the Middle East and in the Roman Empire and around the world. They've been using it for soil. They would, in these arid places, they would put salt out and it would control weeds. It would allow them to till up the soil and have a softer, better soil. But it was good for manure because they would put it on manure and it would actually hold it and maintain its freshness for a little bit longer. And so soil... And manure that's been thrown out with salt is actually, it's bringing flavor, not just to food, but it is allowing us to till up the soil to be what we're supposed to be. So here's the interesting thing. Jesus then is not just calling us to bring flavor and to preserve our culture. He's telling us that we have to go to the messiest places on the wor- in the world to bring life. Because what are they doing with manure? They're taking that manure and they are fertilizing so that life can happen out of that. And yes, it's messy. Yes, it's stinky. Yes, it's not convenient. But what Jesus is saying to us is, hey, listen, you're supposed to bring flavor. You're supposed to bring preservation. But also, you're to go to the messy places of the world, the manure pits of the world, because in the manure pits, there is no hope. But through salt, extended life happens so that salt can go with the manure and life can happen in the midst of that. So followers of Jesus, the world is watching us. And we need to go to the manure pits and bring life. So that tomatoes can grow, cucumbers can grow, corn can grow. The fruit of the Spirit can grow because His children have chosen to be salt in the midst of manure because Jesus is the hope of the world. That's powerful. Are we willing to jump literally into the manure pit so that people can know Jesus? So that life can come from the stinkiest, nastiest stuff. And it can happen. If we are salt in the nastiest of places. That's our challenge. That means these deep discussions that many are running from, as followers of Jesus, we need to jump into them because the solution is Jesus. And the things that we have a tendency to run from as Christians, maybe we're actually supposed to be called to them because that's the manure pit and we can bring salt and light and life to the manure of the world because Jesus is the reason and He gives hope in the crap of life. Civility, though. We have to be civil. 
And we have to have a desire to sit down and to listen and to understand. And one of the beautiful things about Jesus is you see his ministry consistently. Is that he would go to the manure pits and he would hang out with lepers and he would hang out with sinners and he would hang out with harlots. He would hang out with those that were not supposed to be hung out with. And in the midst of hanging out with them, he would continually ask them questions. What do you want? What do you need? And Jesus would answer the question. Here's what I challenge you. Turn off your lizard brain. Just turn it off. Check your social media and turn down the warfare and your offensive warlike culture and mentality. And maybe for a moment, no matter how you feel about a face mask, just maybe take your face mask and put it on. To remind yourself of the fact of, I need to listen more. I need to understand my neighbor better so I can love them better because I know and I understand that many of my neighbors and many of those around me are in manure pits. And I am called to be the salt to the rotting, stinking crap of our world. Because Jesus is the answer. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are salt, that you are the light of the world. Father, I thank you that you have called us to a relationship with you. And Father, I just pray that as followers of Jesus, that we would understand that our goal is to bring you glory and to bring you honor. And then the way that we love each other, the way that we love our neighbors is important. And the Father, that maybe even this morning, this idea that today, this idea that we're to go to the manure pits of the world because we are salt. Father, I pray that would challenge us and help us rethink and reframe how we care for and take care of our neighbors. Father, may we be colorblind. Father, may we recognize that our jersey that we wear is the same jersey in Christ. And that we're on the team together. And that we find our unity in that. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.